In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode three hundred one. That's right. We are on the other side of three hundred. Hey, and on the other side of uh, of the Green Lantern Green Arrow episode. So two big ones back to back. Seems like we haven't recorded in eons, or maybe just last time, the last few times we recorded, we simply recorded for eons. So maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe it works both ways. <laughs> Uh, but now we're back into the swing of things, uh, and uh, catching up and uh, catching up quick on uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps in this episode. We'll be talking the last two issues of the Fall of the Gods arc in 28 and 29. Then uh, we'll be talking about the DC Metal tie-in uh, one-shot. It's the uh, uh, Batman Dawnbreaker one-shot. And then the tie-in issue that goes uh, alongside that from Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. That will be issue number 32. And yes, we realize we're skip, skipping uh, 30 and 31 of How Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, but don't worry, we will come back to it later in another episode when we cover those two issues, as well as the two issues of Superman that preceded them. So that'll be a four-issue review episode at some point in the future. Yeah. Well, uh, in, in the near future. <laughs> depending how much we record this record this month it might be like the last thing we record this month depending and i'm saying this month as in looking assuming we're in december though technically we are recording this in november barely but we're still in november but if we would depend all depends how much we record in uh in december since we do have this and then green lantern green lanterns will be one of the next two episodes chad has some we have some special stuff you know, some interviews and stuff, that that's going to be another episode. And then, like I said, if we record one more time after that, that'll probably be Hal and the, that Hal and the Core stuff. Since, and pretty much that, the good news with Hal and the Core, that would bring us up to date since the, uh, what the Twilight of the Guardians thing just starts tomorrow. So mm-hmm. since we're going to do that whole, since we're going to, we're planning as of now of doing that all, that arc all together, that we really don't have to think about doing Hal and the Core again until January. So. And is, would it be okay to say we're probably not going to do a holiday episode just because we just oh, did yeah, 300? Yeah, yeah. To be perfect, the fact the, the fact that you, you just mentioned it is the first time I I had even contemplated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think after 300, and to be perfectly honest, uh, this is probably coming from the listener's perspective too, since there's probably like about 30 percent of you that even made it through half of that episode 300 and chat. And if you have, the odds of finishing Chad's. Green Arrow, Green Lantern, 
uh, after that. So you, you still need time to catch up, probably. So having another three to four hour episode probably wouldn't be a good way to to, to, to ring in the new. <laughs> well, on the plus side, I, uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. We probably won't ever have anything longer than a six-hour episode post in our feed <laughs> ever again. Unless the gauntlet it's, has unless, been thrown down! Unless it's something super special. Like, at one point, I have been contemplating slash... It's. I mean, it, 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 it takes for audio work that I know how to do currently, but I thought about creating a Green Lantern audio documentary that we could post in our feed, but... <laughs> Unless it's something super in-depth and special like that, don't ever expect us to uh, breach that six-hour mark. We might come close to it, we might hit it, but I don't think we'll ever go any longer than six hours for an episode ever again. Well, unless we do the, unless we do like a marathon. <laughs> That's maybe, true. Maybe we'll try to do something for charity. We'll do it. We'll do. We'll do like a telethon, and, and we'll and we'll just. And we'll, we'll just and, Mark and I will wake up at six a.m. Start recording live, and then see as far as how long we can go. You guys can, you know, weigh in for, you know, ten dollars every hour that we're able to do it. And then we, we, we could do shifts, like when we need like like two hours of sleep. We can Dan, Dan and Jim can come in and take over. <laughs> oh man! All right. Uh, so yeah, we got four issues to cover in this episode. So, uh, yeah, let's hop right into it. You're going to take number 28 first, right? Kick us off. Not by choice, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To to be fair, with full disclosure, I mean, uh, we we divvied up these issues. Chad divvied up these issues in this arc like about a month ago when we were originally supposed to, or we contemplated possibly doing this before 300. And so I knew I got this issue, and, and... with full disclosure, I don't know if 29 would have been much better, but I just know the 28 wasn't great. So, but on the but on the bright side, it, it should make for a really quick recap, I think. <laughs> All right, so Fall of the Gods. This is about part three, uh, issue 28, the cover by the Speed of Light Ray. Let's do the the creative team: uh, Robert Venditti, Sandoval, Torragona, Moray, Sharp. Uh, Kitson and Hi-Fi did the varying cover. Marino, Mike Cotton, and for one of the last few times, Eddie Berganza. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Um, all right, so we begin with the pretty typical these days, some nice little cliche, uh, which I'll get back to later on. Uh, the farthest reaches of the known universe. And, of course, uh, you, have, you, have, you have John uh, contacting Hal basically giving him the information that they found out at the la- end of last issue, I believe, that they were able to basically go into Orion's mind to exactly find out, you know, where to, you know, what was going on with High Father and where to find him and everything else. And basically that's when we get informed that basically High Father is, is with Light Ray, you know, the speedster of the gods. So basically he's the one who's keeping High Father barely ahead of the uh, Omega Beams from the Golems, the Nth Metal golems so Hal's flying this energy construct jet of his and of course um as he's talking as he's talking to john about about you know what they need to do and how you know this is Hal's you know job you got to do it he starts losing communication with 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 john uh 
as they keep Hal keeps flying further and further, his ring keeps talking to him. You know, speed exceeds limits of construct integrity. We boost, reduce speed before the integrity is breached. Yada yada. Uh, I do like the willpower unable to maintain physical reality. I kind of like that. <laughs> that that's a nice little blurb. Uh, and Hal like goes, "Could you speak, Hal? Tell me what that really meant." It's like hey, you nearly flew apart. Almost like Jessica's right now, being kind of being conversational. Uh, Hal at least tries to look at the bright side, and he goes, hey, did we at least get close to light ray? And he goes, negative, we actually uh, f- fell further behind. And Hal just puts his hand down, and all of a sudden you hear you hear from, like, the back of the plane, you don't always have to go solo, Harold. And we see a little splash page. And, and who is sitting behind Hal Jordan for some way, shape, or form, reason, possible, mind-bending <laughs> reason is Mar- is Martin Jordan or a vi- version of Martin Jordan saying, I'll be your wingman. Oy. Hal turns back to him. He's like, what the hell? He's like, Dad. And then this Martin Jordan's all giddy. He's like, if you could see your mug now, it's like priceless. And and Hal's trying to like co- basically concentrate on flying while kind of like trying to contemplate what exactly is going on with his uh, his father being in his back in the back of the seat of the plane. And, you know, Hal's trying to figure it out. It's like, you know, am I getting loopy or is this basically because of, you know, the energy wake that's being caused? Martin's just kind of telling him to, you know, keep two hands on the stick. And it's like uh, he's not really be providing any pearls of wisdom here because Hal's trying to figure out if he's hallucinating or everything else. And Martin's just kind of leaving it completely up in the air what's going on. And you know, Hal always admits that he, you know, he always thinks of his father when, you know, whenever he flies. And Martin kind of says, "Well, I always, you know, I always thought of you too when I flew." And then he always had a picture of him and Hal in his plane. <laughs> I guess his brothers didn't count. <laughs> um, and just the fact that, oh, the last thing I saw before I died that day was, you know, I looked at that picture, you know, pulling at your heartstrings there. And he kind of like says. You know, Hal's father, Martin, says he's proud of Hal for basically not letting what happened to him, you know, just more or less take him away from the – make him afraid to fly and everything like that. And yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, we, we cut over to Light Ray and uh, Orion, who – excuse me, Light Ray and High Father, who are just – now they notice that the, the Omega beams that are zeroing in on them, you can they kind of see a green light in the distance – you know, High Father puts it together that basically it must be a it must be a member of the Green Lantern Corps, like a scout coming to you know, coming to get them. Uh, Hal continues his conversation with uh, with Martin, and yeah, you know, Martin's kind of like enjoying the fact that you know he never thought he was going to get this close to the stars, and he's kind of really taking it in and enjoying it. And he kind of gives Hal some pearls of wisdom here: uh, be Green Lantern, but don't forget to be Hal Jordan. And it's like you have to find a way to balance the sky and the ground. And pretty much at that moment, Hal asked him, like, did you ever get scared? You kind of see a look on Martin's face. And then all of a sudden, just like that, Martin's gone. And Hal's like, I love you, Dad. And then, you know, with a big, almost like a, not kind of like a sonic boom, but on a you know, galactic level, Hal, you know, Hal pretty much is, is zeroing in on Light Ray and uh, High Father. And he gets the same message about, uh, you know, Reduce speed before integrity is breached, blah, 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 you know, and I like the possibility of speed force singularity. That's a good one, too. And more or less, uh, how it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's, 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 it sounds like a dare, yada, yada, you know, I'm a Jordan, all, 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 all these things that, you know, how kind of used to uh, kind of like pump, pump himself up. 
So you have a nice you have a nice splash page of Hal basically flying upside down, greeting High Father and and Light Ray, and at, you know Light Ray of course is more like wants to flip Hal the bird. It's like, hey, you're a human. It's like, uh, you, you can't really help us. And it's like, hey, I caught you, didn't I? High Father tells Light Ray, well, you know, you know, you can't, you know, be based. Basically, you can't as as good as you are. You can, you know you can't maintain the speed for all eternity. So let's you know let's turn this over to Hal Jordan for now. And High Father says, you know, I'll basically you know I'll I'll call for you when I need you, everything like that. High Father gets in the, basically the back seat, and he asks Hal a pretty a pretty logical question, which is you know how was Orion able to defeat you know the Metal Golem, you know and <laughs> And Hal honestly admits, well, he didn't. He and he just says it matter of factly. He died. And High Father gets pissed. It's like you withheld this knowledge from me. And it's like settle in, High Father. It's under control. And then all, now John, all of a sudden, John's able to get back through. The communications have been somewhat reestablished. And Hal lets him know that you know that he has he has High Father and the Omega beams are on my I'm my six now, but he, but I have an idea. So next issue. Backs against the wall. You withheld this information I, from me? From me! <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't pull up alongside my jet and immediately say, Hey, my father, Orion's dead. <laughs> man, man. I, you just, I just, just ran into you about three seconds ago. <laughs> hey, your kid's dead. Your kid's dead. Get in the back! <laughs> or maybe because you, you were such a unrelenting douche for 99.9% of the last time we encountered you. <laughs> it's like, I should come and give you a hug. Yeah, the only, like, nice uh, all-father is, like, the all-father from, like, the Justice League cartoons or something. He's, like, a wisened old dude in a robe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like... the, one, the one wearing the skirt. That's the high-father we like. <laughs> this guy's a douche. Uh... Alright, so, I didn't have as much of a problem with this as you did, so you tell tell everybody why you didn't like it. For, for an issue that's, it seemed like while you're, it was trying to accomplish something which was getting from point A to point B, he didn't have anything else to really save between point A and point B, so it was essentially filler. And you could, I mean, it's whenever you have some, you know, how much of it was real, how much of it was in Hal's head, it doesn't really matter. Whenever you have Hal interacting with his father, it is interesting, but it just seemed like it was like a whole. It's a whole lot of nothing, and it just seemed like it was. I understand. I mean, it probably was, in all honesty, just you know, in a way, Hal's mind and maybe the ring helping push Hal to to keep keep his focus together enough to do what he needed to do or remind him of who he was. But it just seemed like it was. Not well, a lot. I feel I feel, I feel like it's real, actually. Only be okay. only because they're going like you you said they specifically mentioned the speed force. At, at one point in here. Now, the Speed Force is a universal constant. It's not something that can only be accessed from Earth. So the fact that Light Ray is the speedsters of the New Gods, I don't know much about the New Gods, and I don't know much about the origins of their powers, but I would not be in the slightest shock to learn that Light Ray could tap into the Speed Force. Um, and since the Speed Force is just simply another state of being that just kind of anybody could access at any point in the universe... I wouldn't necessarily disagree with the concept that some sort of psychic bleed through could happen from quote unquote the other side, and that really was, you know, the house father. I mean, you know, just, 
There's Ella. So. I mean, there's reason to believe that because he's not green for one. I mean, but then again, that would be a blatant. That would be so blatant if they just made him green. That you, yeah. there'd be no doubt in anybody's mind. Oh, this is just a construct. So it would lessen the impact. Uh, then again, if it was really Martin Jordan, he might have told Hal, "Hey, I got you know, you know, there's a zombie version of me walking around Co City somewhere. <laughs> 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 Go find me, Hal. <laughs> uh, get that White Lantern to bring me back. Not Kyle. The others. Uh, it was okay. It's just this to me. This is exactly, mind you, I have to." My my distaste for this issue has certainly mellowed since it's been so long since I first read it. <laughs> but it was not what you needed to get this in a story arc that was always going to be hard pressed for me to give a crap about. This was not exactly the issue to to keep momentum going right before you got to the conclusion to have more or less a whole issue of Hal flying with his dead dad. <laughs> so I don't know. It was okay, but it was it it was not anything special. Yeah, the arrogance of the new gods bothers me too. Like, haven't the Green Lantern Corps proved themselves enough at this point? It's like, not. I mean, not even screw like direct interaction. Just the fact that the new gods exist in this universe, wouldn't the new gods have some sort of respect for the Green Lantern Corps being out there policing the universe and putting their own asses on the line? Like, I mean, they they may look at them as like you know lowly mortals who wield godlike power or whatever, but they could have, like, a modicum of respect for them, you know? Yeah, they could, but but Godhead kind of showed they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just don't like the idea of the new gods being assholes. It, does, it doesn't help the cause, because let's be blunt, the new gods are not exactly the most you know popular and beloved characters of all time as a, as a general rule. So to have them come across as... <laughs> you don't think, do you think they are? They're, they're not. They're, I, I, w- I wouldn't say they're despised or anything, which is, of course, not what you said. But it's just like you have to. It doesn't matter their popularity so much. It matters their creator. Well, yes. It's it's, it's Jack the King Kirby. So they will always have this sort of undercurrent uh, niche, rabid fan base will always follow them simply because. Of their Jack the King Kirby's main, I won't say singular because you know he did work on like you know the Demon Etrigan and stuff like that, but like just for the sake of argument, Jack the King Kirby's singular creative insertion into the DCU. So they will always have this rabid fan base that are going to follow them and keep them around in some form or another. I don't know if it's rabid. <laughs> I don't know, man. Some people really love Jack well, the King Kirby. Well, yes, yeah, some people. And really plus, do. they did this whole freaking thing anyways because it was what Kirby's hundredth birthday or something. Probably, yeah. So that's yeah. What, that's, but the the point being that the new gods are a hard. As far as reading them on a regular basis, move, leave especially if you leave Dark Side out of it, uh, and Orion, and not even this Orion. This I mean, Orion's always kind of borderline abrasive, but this Orion just seems to be anno- more annoying than anything. That at their best, it's hard to take them in large doses, I think. And then you make them douchier, like the New 52 version or the post-New 52 version, the rebirth version of the New Gods. It just makes it an even harder sell, I think. So that's, yeah. that's where I was going with it. Uh, I honestly don't have much to say about it. And I'm not doing that just to you know speed this episode along. But it's uh, it really is what it is. It's Hal just essentially trying to keep up with Light Ray. That's it. Yep, and that's why... And that's why, to me, it was pretty much a wasted, a wasted issue. 
The main, the uh, other than oh, there was a nice moment between Hal and and his father, and and maybe that's going to have payoff down the road. Maybe it's going to have nothing down the road, or at least maybe there are no current plans for it to have any meaning and payoff down the road. But if it, but other than that, basically the only important stuff was what happened at the end of the very beginning and the very end. So more or less, like 80, 80 plus percent of the of the story really wasn't really moving the story forward from that perspective and so that's why to me it was that's why to me it was kind of a it was a not a fun read as for should the ring be able to do this if i were feeling in a more combative mood i'd say no but quite honestly this this sort of a thing boils down to me if anybody could do it how could oh yeah sort of a thing yeah um Plus, I mean, the limits of your ring are the limits of your imagination and your creative and your and your willpower. So, not only the fact that Barry, that that Hal is a test pilot and, and blah blah blah, but he's friends with Barry freaking Allen. <laughs> like, so I have to imagine, you know, at some point over a beer, at some point, you know, they had, had Hal and Barry at some point in history had a conversation, and Hal was talking about. What's it like to run so fast and blah blah blah? Because when I'm flying a, a jet, you know, they've ha- probably had this conversation several times before. Because they they both, in a way, in their own way, of course, but in a way, are obsessed with speed. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, it, it's not shocking to me that Hal could pull this off. Um, so that's interesting. But um, twenty nine, um, we open up where we left off, transluminal space and. Uh, um, you know, hi. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I'm going to. If I don't, if, if we don't hear the phrase "transluminal space" anymore during the entire Robert Venditti run, I'm not going to be unhappy. <laughs> Enough with the transluminal space, please. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. <laughs> I, you know, quite honestly, I'm glad they they denote it every now and then. Um, He's doing it more but, then but, than now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just because there there have been times when like. They don't say it, and you're like, wait a sec. They're not just flying through regular space to get to this point that quickly. <laughs> uh, so it's it's good to remind people that there's a difference between flying through space and flying through transluminal space, which is like their own secret, <laughs> uh, you know, like cosmic highway, I guess that they they take. But uh, whatever. So we open up where we left off. High Father's riding bitch in house uh, <laughs> house cockpit. Um, and, you know, he's being a douche. He's updating him on everything that's been going on, what happened to Orion, uh, you know, what his status is now. Speaking of his status now, we cut, we cut back over to uh, the planet Mogo in Space Sector Zero, where Kyle has been awake without sustenance in any, of any form for a little over 24 hours, or 27 hours, um, just keeping this construct heart uh, keeping um, uh, Orion alive while another lantern, uh, one of the lanterns that came over from the Sinestro side of things, Tulobe, is reading Orion's mind to figure out what's going on. And he says, alright, I believe, yes, he doesn't offer the words easily, but I have them, Yuga Khan. And John gets a I've got to take a poop look on his face <laughs> and darts out of the room, runs into Guy, says the attack will soon is moving out. We've already alerted Hal 
They head towards the source wall where these celestial sort of beings, the golems, uh, nth metal golems, are attempting to remove Yukakan from the source wall. That's when the core shows up. Um, John plays tactical, tactical leader, says Space Ape and Rayun use their size against the golems. Everyone else keep them away from Yukakan. They go uh, up against them. The golem shoot, shoots some energy at them. John's trying to figure out how to take them down. Uh, and just in time, Hal comes uh, right at them uh, with his uh, jet out of transluminal space with high five in the back. They're still riding the coat. They're still riding their coattails as this Omega Beam. Hal pulls, uh, uh, you know, a, a little a, a trick you see in most movies. Flies straight towards them, uh, one of the celestial uh, golem things, and pulls out at the last second. Omega Beam smack him square in his Iron Man like arc reactor chest, and he explodes. That's when John says, "All right, that must be their weak point. Everybody go for the center things on their chest." They do take them out. All of a sudden, another golem shows up when they think they're done. Uh, they take uh, him out too. Uh, with a quick teamwork between uh, Highfather as well as Jon Stewart doing a bit of a sniper reaction. Uh, this whole plot evidently was to get Yuga Khan out of the source wall. Yuga Khan is the father of Highfather. Um, he says, you know, even in death, you seek to murder your family. What drives a being to such evil? Hal kind of puts a hand on Highfather's chest. I know a good dad when I see one. I had the best. You're a good dad, Highfather. Um I saw father says, if you knew the things I have done, you would wonder how much of my father yet lives in me. Hal says, you aren't dead yet. There's still time to be better. Let's go. Your son is waiting. Back on Mogo. After some surgery from Salix. I forget how. It, it, it's, just, it's, it's just a guy, a popular... Um, uh, a famous doctor from Salak's planet, right? He's not like his uncle or anything? Yeah, I, I forget. Yeah, I don't think there's any relation. Okay. Um, has implanted uh, his heart back into Orion's chest, and they stand watch uh, over Kyle Rayner because right he's when... He's dead. No, <laughs> he's, uh, he's being... He's completely passed out. He's completely drained. He's on IV fluids, and this, essentially he's just... Down for the count until he can recover his energy. And this is next, Superman versus Hal Jordan. <coughs> Excuse me. That's all right. It's an appropriate end to that. <laughs> uh. So, one thing. Just a quick question. We see when the golems are trying to get Yuga Khan out of uh, the... Oh, I forgot to do the joke I was going to do. It's Shaka Khan. <laughs> I was thinking that I was going to make a, Chuck, a Shaka Khan joke, too. It's like, a, that's what John Stewart was so – he thought they said Shaka Khan. <laughs> so Chuck-a-con. we see them sh- firing their energy at Yuga Khan, and we see the stones shattering around his hand. So his hand is, like, is free. But then later on he's stoned again. Is that because he wasn't fully freed? At the point, like, all they did was free his hand, and then because he's touching the sorcerer wall, it, it, you know, went back over his hand because he's connected to it? Yeah, probably. Okay. I'm just assuming, I'm just, I'm just making sure that that's what we're supposed to get out of that sequence. 
Yeah, I think so. So we see a couple of lanterns we haven't seen in a bit. Well, not a bit. Uh, we do see... Um, well, skipping that, let's just say we, we see uh, John quickly utilizing the new Sinestro Corps members and, and, and their unique powers and abilities, uh, not just with Tulo, but with Space Ape and, and the other one. Um, but now we, you know, here's a, we have a quick moment. I didn't mention it, but we have a quick moment with, uh, with uh, Rotlop Fan. We have a quick moment with Stell. So it's good to see them again. Sinestro Corps members, otherwise known as Cannon Fodder. <laughs> go get them, guys! We'll just wait here! <laughs> you go probe them for weaknesses. We'll see what works. Yeah, uh, like Space Ape is hollering, Green Lantern's light! <laughs> so suddenly, they're really into this. <laughs> well, he, he was a quick convert. Yeah, that's true. Space Ape! <laughs> What did you think of uh, of it otherwise? It was real. Con- it was real convenient that their weakness is the big big thing on their chest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like like no one would have ever thought to go for that thing at, at, on their own randomly. It's like it, it's you know, it's like this big bullseye on their chest. Why not take a couple of shots at it? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I, ultimately I look at this arc and it's like, what was the point of this? <laughs> really? I don't, I don't see what. I mean. I don't know. I see. At least on the bright side, we kind of. I think we we did talk about this. We teased about this when <clears throat> we started this arc, that we, we had. You know, that I kind of had a feeling this was not going to be your typical Robert Venditti arc, where it really it really started with a bang and then it ended with a thud. That this kind of wasn't going to be much of a bang anywhere involved. <laughs> and I don't can I can't say the story arc let me down on that level. This, I, I, I and I've said this before. I liked Godhead. This 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 thing is like a. It may not be a steaming pile, but I, but it does. But it, it's one of the least relevant as or le- least memorable. That's probably the better word. Arcs, I think, in this entire book so far since it started. Maybe there'll be payoff down the road, which is which is always the asterisk in the. Uh, I'm trying to think of what's the best word, but it's oh, it, it's always like the fail safe. It's always say, oh yeah, we have plans for down the road, even if you really don't at the time. It's like you know, you'll understand like in five years when we come back to it. It was okay. This this whole arc kind of seems filler. It's like they needed they needed something to do before the S- Sinestro Superman Hector Hammond stuff and before the Twilight of the Guardians. <laughs> I don't know. Or they just yeah. Was, oh, I'm it sorry. didn't it it, it, did, it didn't do much for me, quite honestly. That's why I don't have much to say about either of these. Good. All right, moving on. Which covered you? You know, you know what's funny? I got covered. I got the. Well, I, I got it. I know you get the so. digital here on both. That's why I stopped. At, that's why I stopped. Uh, I have the non. I have the variant cover where it looks like Werewolf by Night is a member of the Green Lantern Corps. Okay, yeah, I got you. <laughs> that's supposed to be Vaz, right? I yeah. Think. Speaking but, of, didn't you get that? It hasn't shipped yet. Uh, I, I know, but you ordered it, right? I yeah, I, I did order it. Because uh, I just I just thought I'd throw it out there, throw it out there, because every now and then people are asking us what we read outside of. Green Lantern, and there was, uh, is it is it an omnibus or was it like a black and white you know, it uh, essentials? It wasn't black and white. It was so so it's just a standard trade like volume one. Yeah, give me. Uh, I'll 
Yeah. While 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 yes, Mark's we'll, looking, we'll talk. A, I'll, I'll bring it up and, I'll, and we'll mention it. I don't want to. I don't want us to have the awkward pause of me checking my order on DCBS so we can. No, in case anybody forgot, Mark is a fan of Werewolf by Night <laughs> slash other horror, DC horror and Marvel horror uh, titles. So. Yeah, um, that was the. Uh, I do, I do love me my Werewolf by Night. It is the Werewolf by Night Complete Collection Trade Paperback Volume 1. And I forget how, the number of issues it covers because this does not let me click on it anymore. At least I, I could check it clearly on Amazon. Can't check it on DCBS because it's not available there for pre-order anymore. But I think it's like – I think it's a decent – it's got to be a decent chunk of issues because even with the D- DCBS discount, it's still 24 bucks. So it's got to hmm. be – got to be a good amount of pages in that since i think it was a size i think when we looked at it on amazon or something it was like 30 30 something bucks so I, it might be like one through it's a big chunk of the first part of the run and then i think it has uh like a giant size werewolf by night or it might have the team up the issue he was in with spider-man might have been a marvel team up or something but yeah i'm looking forward to that because i never actually had the first handful of issues of werewolf by night i think i i'm trying to remember exactly where I got into it, but it was it was they are, had already established the character for a while, so it was so yeah. I'm looking forward to that. All right, on to uh, the Dawnbreaker stuff, which will be the highlight of the episode from an issue review perspective. There's no doubt. <laughs> uh, but we but we need to go over some prelude stuff. Okay, I guess. So, what is happening right now in the DC universe is a big event. No, I'm not talking about Doomsday Clock. Uh, I am talking <laughs> about DC Metal. And DC Metal is a storyline in which there is an existing undercurrent to the DC Universe. Uh, the first issue of DC Metal opens up, um, oh, after some sort of fun Justice League stuff, Opens up with them arriving back on the Justice League arriving back on Earth and the discovering that Challenger's Mountain or Challenger Mountain has uh, suddenly appeared in the middle of Gotham City. And by Challenger Mountain, I mean the home base of Challengers of the Unknown. Um, the Justice League shows up to investigate. They go inside. Challengers of the Unknown are in stasis or stored or whatever. And guarding over them is their android, Red Tornado. Uh, and right when they are uh, just after they arrive, another team arrives called the Blackhawks, led by Lady Blackhawk, Kendra Saunders. Um, they take the, the Justice League over to Blackhawk Island, where she explains what is going on. Uh, and to the best of my ability, I'm going to read some of this for you. It's going to be a little bit lengthy. But I'm reading it anyways just so you can get an idea of whether or not you want to read this or not because it's making Nth Metal sort of a deus ex machina in terms of how it ties in to the rest of the DCU and people getting their various powers. So she says, Hawkman, our story sounds crazy, but thousands of years ago, he and I were stabbed with a dagger of mysterious substance and entered a cycle of reincarnation that spanned history. We all know this. For many lives, we fought together as partners, protecting the world from evil, but Carter never stopped searching for answers about the material that started the whole cycle. Nth metal. This fragment is one of the last purative pieces left in the universe. It's the only material capable of giving vastly different powers to those who possess it. 
Eternal life, flight, mystical vision. It defies all rules of science and magic. And at certain times, it seems to broadcast a strange kind of energy. Carter came to believe that nth metal was from somewhere beyond our cosmology. He searched for clues about its origins in history, folklore. What he found were warnings, claimed that the metal came from evil and led to evil, but Carter wouldn't accept it. Over the years, he recruited the best people he could find to help his search. Pilots, showing an image of the, Black, the OG Blackhawks. Uh, heroes, I don't recognize this person. Um, inventors, showing an image of, uh, I forget the names of the uh, creators, but the guy who created Red Tornado and the guy who created the Metal Men. Adventurers, who would challenge the unknown with him. We fought over it, he and I, but not long ago he felt his team was ready to get answers, to travel to the other side. This is a map of what we believe to be our multiverse. Not just our universe, but all the universes made of matter and antimatter in existence. We, we know of 52, we believe it to be a set number. But the energy coming through nth metal, Carter couldn't trace it to any known universe on this map. For those really playing along at home... The image she displays here is the image of the multiverse that we were given during uh, Grant Morrison's multiversity. <clears throat> and Barry chimes, this is, I've studied the multiverse for years, and that's all there is. There's nowhere else for it to come from. Is there? She says, no, unless it came from here. A dark multiverse, she says, as she flips over the map. Uh, Diana, uh, Diana, Wonder Woman says, all I see is the back of the map. Uh, Kendra says, until recently, that's all any of us saw. Everyone believed the building blocks of reality were matter and antimatter. But not long ago, astronomers discovered a third material. And the scary thing is, it turns out dark matter and dark energy actually make up a great majority of our universe. This stuff we can't see or feel. So now imagine looking at the map and can imagine nth metal connecting us to a realm much older and much vaster than ours. An oceanic subconscious realm of tiny multiverse floats on. So we're talking about a dark multiverse. And they're using the physics concept of dark matter and dark energy to explain how it exists. Uh, each... Um, each uh, tie-in we're seeing uh, of of the uh, Dark Knights. It's a DC Metal tie-in. We see Batman or a version of various DC characters in the guise of Batman from this dark multiverse. And each of these tie-ins start with a little bit of uh, of of a prelude essentially saying these are the stories from the dark multiverse that never should never be with the rise of the dark knights. Essentially the dark multiverse is a multiverse full of evil where everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And that's where we get these various Batman of the dark multiverse. And that's how we get Batman Dawnbreaker. Anything you want to add, Mark, before I jump into the the Dawnbreaker issue? No, you you laid it out pretty nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I that everything I just read was from DC Metal number one. 
Uh, if anybody feels I'm, I've been spoiling this or whatever, uh, that's fine. DC Metal number one is interesting too because, and forgive me, I don't care. You're listening to an, uh, an episode about reviewing current comics, so you're going to be spoiling this. They're tying this into, like I mentioned, I, I named Dark Blackhawks, Challengers of the Unknown, The Metal Men, Red Tornado, all this stuff. They even tie it into like, um, Dream from Sandman. Uh, they tie it into Plastic Man, to Dr. Fate. Like, there's a lot of stuff happening in here. So whether or not you're interested in figuring out if Nth Metal should really be this deus ex machina explain all for a vast majority of the DCU, that's up to you. But, uh, yeah. So, Batman Dawnbreaker. Um, let me get to this creative team page here. If it's at the end, I'll just talk about it later. Yeah, it looks like it's probably at the end. All right. It is. Earth negative 32. <laughs> Gotham City. We open up on a familiar scene. A young Bruce Wayne kneels at the side of his dead parents in an alley. At that point, as he gets mad and starts to dart off after the man who killed his parents... A familiar green ring comes darting through the skies and says, Bruce Wayne, you have the ability to overcome great fear. Welcome to the Green Lantern Corps. Recruits Bruce. He finds the man who killed his parents, corners him, shoots his ring energy at him, and the first thing the ring says is, Error. First law of the Green Lantern Corps. Lethal force not permitted. And Bruce screams, I don't care, do what I say, he deserves to die. Willpower at 100%, error. Willpower at 117%, error. Willpower at 181%, error. Willpower exceeds, and then malfunction, and then the bubble change changes and says lethal force enabled, <laughs> and he incinerates what I'm assuming is Joe Chill. <clears throat> And his own uh, narrative bubble says, I had the most powerful weapon in the universe on my finger, but I would have given it up to have my mom and dad. Bruce flies back to the scene where his parents are lying dead in the alley and attempts to raise them with his ring. He says, ring, bring back my mom and dad. It says, activating. And they rise essentially as zombies. He gives up, lets them collapse, flies back into space. I would have traded everything so I didn't feel so helpless. So they called me Hero at first. And this is where we see a now familiar scene of Bruce uh, alighting on a rooftop to talk with Commissioner Gordon. Um, Gordon says we've got a couple of missing persons cases. thought you might have find it compelling. Most recently, my detectives have been trailing a particular individual. says that uh, they called me Hero at first. That title didn't last long. I killed without remorse. Uh, or boundaries, why did they deserve to live when my parents didn't? Why? And we see him taking out the Scarecrow while using his dark green energy constructs to capture a familiar-looking yellow missile that it supposedly Scarecrow sent off towards Gotham. And he says, what are you... Uh, he disappeared suddenly Tuesday night. What were you doing Tuesday night? Uh, so Bruce says, okay, okay, I figured out your game. I know who you're missing. Penguin. Hal shows up, busts in, 
and starts taking on Penguin in his game, gang by a different means. He says, ring, and the ring says, initiating blackout. The entire ring room is, is enveloped in shadow, and he takes them out the hard way. All except Penguin, who he grabs, carries out into space, and allows to suffocate in the vacuum of space just briefly until some meteors show up and tear him to bits. He flies back down to Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon says, Lantern, this has to stop. This is injustice. I don't care what you do to me. Someone has to stand up for what's right. What you did to Detective Bullock, God help him. I know you're hurting, but... And Bruce says, you don't know me. Commissioner says, I'm not an idiot. It was only a couple of years ago, three dead in Crime Alley. Aren't you tired of feeling like this, Bruce? And Bruce says, shut up, Gordon. You have a daughter, right? Sad. Then he incinerates Gordon. Says she'll have to grow up without her father, alone. And then from the skies, enough. And then alert, Bruce Wayne of Sector 2814. Sorry, I gotta <laughs> turn my tablet here sideways so I can see the double page spread. Uh, Bruce, uh, Green Lantern of 2814, incoming Green Lantern Corps. And we see the entirety of the Green Lantern Corps. Well, a pretty large contingent of them, rather, um, including Galia Zed and uh, Kilowog and several other Salak, and then it's the Guardians of the Universe. It says, you are a damaged lantern, and we are here to fix your transgression. You have done unimaginable. You will let darkness into your ring. This could pollute the entire Green Lantern Corps. Hand over your ring now. Kilowog says, Ganthet, you're all, all in a tizzy over this scrawny cruiser. Leave him to me. Bruce says, whoa, this is wild. There's a ton of you, but ring? Initializing blackout. I've got friends now, too. Bunch of dark energy monster constructs throw out. The entire uh, scene goes black, and we repeat <laughs> the last moments of Penguin's crew. There's one guardian remaining. Stop the darkness that destroys everything, and Bruce rips his head off in the last moments. He says, still, I felt the same. Can you imagine the most powerful weapon on my finger, and still I felt vulnerable, helpless. I missed them. I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't want to be Bruce Wayne. I didn't want to be Green Lantern. Standing in front of a lantern, but feeling submerged in shadow, like I never left the cave under my mom and dad's house with the darkness and the bats. So I became Batman the Dawnbreaker. He says his oath after he emerges from the battery with a new costume. With darkness black, I choke the light. No brightness, day, no brightest day escapes my sight. I turn the dawn into midnight, but where my power, Dawnbreaker's might. And he essentially, uh, after he emerges, and he says that just that moment, the world began to crumble away. I recognized it immediately. It was the same as the void inside me, the darkness that consumes all light. I couldn't even see the stars. And that's when the Batman who laughs shows up and says, nice earth you got here. How's it working out for you? And the Batman who laughs, probably going to look familiar to you. His issue is out by now if you guys want to read it. Just call me the man who laughs, and I am recruiting. This is the Red Death and Murder Machine. For those who don't know, Red Death is 
the Batman from the Dark Multiverse who steals Flash's power. And the murder machine is the Batman who is essentially cyborg. You'll be fast friends, I'm sure. You have so many things in common. Revenge, justice, first names. There is a world bathed in light. The people there are fools to deserve to, they deserve to be dragged into the dark. Their world will crumble like yours. My lord Barbados demands it. You are a warrior of the darkness. You can extinguish the lights of the, this bright world. And if you do, Barbados will spare you from this oblivion and give you back what you most desire. Your parents back alive. All my lord demands is your obedience. Will you kneel or will you die? And then back on Earth Zero, which is supposedly now the designation for the regular DCU, Earth Zero. Um, the Dawnbreaker shows up in Coast City. And his narrative bubbles say, light. So many people living in the light. Idiots. Time for their whole world to change forever. And Dawnbreaker says, ring, initiating blackout. Hal shows up says, hey, no one to face his signs in my city. Uh, because I guess on his way in, <laughs> Dawnbreaker stopped to do some graffiti. <laughs> so welcome to Coast City, the city without light. <laughs> uh, and he says, Me, he had a power ring, but I didn't feel anything, not even fear. And Hal hesitates and goes, Batman, is that you? And then, <laughs> I have to warn you, I've killed Green Lanterns before and I'll do it again. And he initiates blackout and Hal goes into the darkness and then suddenly... You are needed elsewhere, Hal Jordan. No, I had to save Coast City. You have no choice if the multiverse is to survive. And the symbol you see is a very familiar symbol. It's the symbol of Dr. Fate. And Dawnbreaker initiates a blackout on the entirety of Coast City. And it, as he says, initializing blackout, his narrative bubbles say, a world of light a city of hope, distinguishing, let them feel helpless. Let them feel the void. Let them feel like me. It was, it was disgusting, not distinguishing. Oh, sorry. It's okay. What'd you think? I'm still not, well, as a one-off issue, like if this was like an Elseworlds, I think I would have appreciated, I would have probably appreciated it a tad more. I mean, it essentially it is. is. I know it is, really. It is kind of an Elseworlds. Um, because all the Elseworlds take place on another universe. I mean, if it just stayed there, if it didn't come over into ours, you know, if you didn't have the crossover into ours, it was just a, Okay. But I'm still not buying that, you know, punk kid little Bruce Wayne has that much willpower to screw up the ring and do everything like that so so damn quickly. I'm not really buying all of it. That, that part was a little... That part was a little much. Uh, just the way he took out the whole core, uh, as much as the core as he fought in the Guardians. Again, that goes back to the same concept. And again, we see a little bit more of this in the Hal and the core c crossover, but at least I think Hal does. Hal actually does a little better in the actual issue than he does in this one shot against him. But it, I don't know. I just yeah. I, I guess I guess the issue crossover kind of extends the scene. In some ways, I kind of sort of, except the way it ends is his, doesn't really get necessarily give that impression. Because yeah, but either way, it it it, it, it raises the, it raises that specter of, of how it how it actually fits in. It is pop, 
it is possible that yeah, he could he, maybe he comes in and he, Dr. Fate comes in at that moment and rescues him even though we, we don't see Halleck in chains or anything in this issue. It was it, Oh, it was, and I I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I forgot to mention Sam Humphrey's writer, Ethan yep. Van Skyver artist, Jason Wright colors, Tom Napolitino uh, letters, Jason Fabok and Brad Anderson cover, Andrew Marino assistant editor, Mike Cotton editor, and we don't have to worry about that last guy anymore. <laughs> the art was good, but it's Van Skyver, so it would make sense. Yep. So, I'm, while I'm not 100% a fan of the Dawnbreaker outfit, I don't necessarily think that's anything special um, by itself. The artwork overall was, was really, really good. Hal looked really, really good. Young Bruce Wayne looked good. The other, the other dark Batman looked, from what you could see of them, looked good. So yeah, I, so art wise it was good as a as a as a one off. It's kind of interesting, uh, but I still I still kind of it kind of still falls into the oh it's Batman so he can Batman can pretty much do anything <laughs> kind of thing and that gets to me that gets a little old after a while, but it wasn't bad. I I, I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed it. Hmm. Uh, what do you think of the power? Oh, the darkness. The dark- yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, now, now that I've explained to you what the dark multiverse is, since it's based off dark matter and dark energy, if it's a multi, if he's from a multiverse that is made of that, it makes a little bit more sense that he could tap into yes. that as the energy source of his ring. Yeah, it does. And it does. And based on, based on the nature of who he is in this book, it makes sense that the regular light wouldn't be enough for him. And that yeah. it, it, that's a conduit to light in general, and because of what exists in this universe, that he's able to use that ring, and because of his willpower to tap into stuff he shouldn't be tapping into, and then he realizes how, how powerful that is and how unprepared excuse me, <clears throat> everybody else is to deal with that kind of power. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... it's it, you're right, I think you summed it up nicely. It does make it more believable. As a, as a concept, I don't know if how much I like it, but but I I accept that it's it's a it's believable based from based on where he comes from. Hmm. Have you read any other DC Metal stuff besides these two issues that we're covering tonight? Uh, other than the prologue, the, the I didn't read any of the other regular DC uh, Metal. I, I recommend the Red Death. I where, heard that uh, was supposed to be good. Yeah, I mean, Batman's, like, fighting against Flash with, like, Captain Cold's cold gun, and it's all... Essentially, it's it's brutal, too, because Batman gets the better of Flash and then, like, straps him to the hood of the Batmobile and chains him down and then drives the Batmobile till it triggers Flash's speed force, and then he just rips the speed force out of Barry Allen to become, you know, the Red Death. So I mean it's 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 really good. I mean because I mean as as brutal and as like holy crap you you don't want to see these two fight to this ultimate end, you know, you you know going into it that this is supposed to be that kind of a story. It's not the Bruce or the Barry we're, we're familiar with, but they're so freaking close. You're almost like, "Oh, Bruce, don't do it," you know. But then you realize you're in the Stark multiverse and it just it has to end horribly. So it's it's really well done. So I, I would recommend. I mean, if, if if people out there have read the Dawnbreaker, that's great. I don't have a problem with Dawnbreaker. The next best one, or the best one out of all of them so far, 
and I've read them all uh, that have come out, is definitely the Red Death. So. <clears throat> what else do you think about it? Any, any other comments you want to make about the one-shot? I'm not sure. I mean, uh, considering... Well, maybe again in a way because this is, this kind of exists in an alternate timeline with different with different different rules, different. Maybe again that might be up Humphrey's alley because you had to, mm-hmm. you get to play a little more fast and loose with with the dreaded continuity and and just overall history because you know it's a different it's a different multi, part of the multiverse, a different universe in general, so you can do whatever you want. So I think that worked for Humphrey's. I thought I. If I just read the story and I didn't know Humphreys wrote it, I probably would have, I probably would have suspected Vin Diddy wrote it more than Humphreys did. Yeah, you know what's interesting? They keep saying fifty-two universes in the multiverse. It's like, are, is that including the antimatter universe as one of them? I think so, but I'm not sure. It might. Yeah, I think that might. Because I think because, there's, cause there's only mean, the one, anti- right? There's only one. Yeah. Anti- yeah, the antimatter universe is the undercurrent of the. So that's the, that's very interesting. They've always said like the antimatter universe exists underneath all universes. So now it's like, so we have the the multiverse, the undercurrent, and then the under undercurrent. <laughs> so that's interesting. Hmm. I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. Um, they. I think they take a lot of liberty with a lot of these things, but I think scientifically speaking, they can because quite honestly, physicists don't know much of Bo Diddley about dark matter and dark energy. They know it's out there, but God forbid if they can figure out how to test it or do much with it at all right now. Just It's one of those things that is currently beyond the limits of what we have technology-wise that can detect it or uh, uh, manipulate it in any way, shape, or form. So it's like the writers have an out <laughs> by uh, playing with a scientific matter that science has not yet had an opportunity to test. So it's like they have a built-in excuse <laughs> for things not making sense. <laughs> Good point. Uh, you want to take uh, 32? I suppose so, uh, uh, which is what Bats Out of Hell Part 3, but you really don't need to read the other two parts to, to figure out what's going on here all that much, <laughs> especially if you read Dawnbreaker. Uh, well, not, not just that. The Bats Out of Hell thing are essentially the Batman of the Dark Multiverse going up against their counterparts. Like, there is a Flash tie-in where Red, da- uh, Red Death goes up against uh, Flash, so that's essentially all the Bats Out of Hell arc is the the various dark batman going up against their earth zero counterparts cover is cool the van skyver cover is cool did you see the uh, other cover i probably did but i don't remember it it's not anything it's it's Hal with a bunch of construct bats flying towards the reader yeah. and Hal isn't isn't particularly he looks more cartoony than anything that's the variant cover yeah did the variant cover uh, uh barry kitson and hi-fi so yeah i think i'd, keep, I'd stick with the van skyver cover it's pretty classic how holding the battery look how looking good and then uh 
Dawnbreaker and his little dark dark constructs there. That's pretty cool. Uh, all right, so the issue begins uh, kind of picking up on a note you just mentioned. 52 universes in the multiverse. I couldn't tell you the number of planets. How many citizens? Trillions? Well, what's more than trillions? But there's only one coast city, my city. And then we have a, f- a flashback to, obviously it happened sometime after uh, after Green Lantern Rebirth, as in the miniseries, uh, where basically Coast City was rebuilt, because you have John, Kyle, and Guy essentially uh, working out plans to continue the rebuild of Coast City, when obviously a lot of it, some of it's been done already. And all Guy, it's funny, all Guy's interested in is a, like a, 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 the, the, the primo spot to put warriors <laughs> <laughs> Which you know is just gonna get destroyed anyway, so <laughs> so it's it's kind of cool using you know John's architecture background and Kyle's uh, creative background as an artist to try to because he's working on the, on a museum and sculpture gallery I mean garden excuse me and 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 guys kind of like oh where's Jordan kind of like shirking responsibility and work as usual and and Hal's actually he's patrolling the sky at the same time he's giving his niece and nephew a ride. And like a Green Lantern constructed, like a almost like almost like a bumper car, kind of kind of thing. And I think it's supposed to be a roller coaster. Well, car. it is supposed to be a roller coaster, but it, the, the car looks just as much almost like it, it looks like a it looks very similar to both. It looks like mm. the, the conceptually it looks like a bumper car, but it probably you are you are technically probably correct. It's probably supposed to be more of a roller coaster, old school, like a roller coaster car. So he's, you know, he's playing, you know, he's playing with the kids, and he goes, "Hey, it's just like my my favorite place. Can you read what the sign says?" And we're looking at the, you know, now the quote-unquote famous uh, "Welcome to Coast City, the city without fear" sign, and how it kind of says, you know, you'll you'll never have to be afraid of, you know, you'll because I'll always protect this place. No fear, no fear. <laughs> and how it's like Coast City, best city in the world. It's like today, it's in a world of trouble, and now we kind of see Coast City. You know, completely uh, kind of engulfed in darkness. You kind of have the, I think the bat, the, the Dawnbreaker Green Lantern symbol in the, in the sky. Kind of funny that they don't have the city without light on this part. So that either hasn't happened yet or it's continuity problem. <laughs> but now we have deep, deep underground the nightmare bat cave of the Dawnbreaker. And we have, uh, he's so freaky looking though. This Bruce Wayne is so freaky looking. Uh, almost like the yeah. Guy. He looks more like vampire Bruce Wayne than he does like any kind of real Bruce Wayne, and he's like, uh, "Welcome home, Hal." And and you know, Hal's kind of like, you know, the, you know, the dark won't save you, Dawnbreaker. And we hear all these disembodied voices talking to Hal, which most of which we can figure out who they're coming from immediately. But if you don't, if we don't know later on in this issue, it becomes clear. It's like, "I've waited so long to be alone with you, Hal. Uh, fear always finds its place. Your crimson will mingle in the blood lake of Yzmalt." That was pretty easy to figure. <laughs> so is the so is the I trained you better than this Jordan and mine. So pretty much there's only two that are kind of up at borderline up in the air. Uh, I mean not even that either. Uh, one is I think the fear always finds its place could make you wonder, especially since you know essentially Sinestro is the one who's saying I trained you. So I guess. Well, yeah, but fear always finds its place is clearly in parallax font. Yeah, that is true. If you're looking, and at, and and the other one is Hector Hammond's yes, thought Hector, bubbles. Yes, Hector so. Hammond. You, you are correct. The, the clues are there. Uh, the fear threw me off a tad, but you're right. It isn't. It is in the para- possessed parallax font, uh, and and mine is pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, please. Uh, 
but it's kind of cool in, in this part when when uh, after a Dawnbreaker try, is trying to play head games with Hal, Hal kind of just laughs at him, and this kind of catches Dawnbreaker a little off guard. Is something amuses you, and it's like, oh, you little Bruce, I like that. Um, it's like you are funny, and Dawnbreaker's like Hal, and they have a really good close up of Hal on this on this splash page. It's like a you. It's like you think I you think I fear you, and it's like are you bringing me here to Coast City, attacking it, playing a few scary voices. It's like our Batman is smarter than you. It's like all you've done is fire me up. So stop with the peekaboo and let's get down to business. Uh, Dawnbreaker kind of taunts Hal's like your Batman is lost. He thought he understood Shadow. I am Shadow. I am the darkness that follows the Nova and the little Dawnbreaker font because everybody has to have their own font now. <laughs> uh. So we find out at that point that Dawnbreaker, you know, Dawnbreaker can his ring can absorb light. So Hal kind of says, "Okay, well, you can't absorb, but keeps disappearing." So he turns on something which would be quite quite effective, other than the fact that it might cause Hal himself to have a seizure, maybe. <laughs> that he turns on, he, that's right, he turns on the strobe feature. That of course, in case we didn't know there was one before, there is a strobe activated feature in Green Lantern rings. Uh, or at least in Hal's custom-made rig. <laughs> it's like, all right, Dawnbreaker, let's dance! And, of course, we have some cool cuts between panels of complete darkness with just you know, word bubbles of Hal ta- uh, taunting Dawnbreaker. And then when the strobe comes on, we kind of get images, and it's like uh, he keeps taunting Dawnbreaker that he keeps missing him. And, um, and Dawn- meanwhile, Dawnbreaker is taunting uh, how to is like Guile, Kyle, even the Guardians. It's like I killed all them. I killed the Green Lantern Corps once. They weren't a st- they weren't enough to stop me from avenging my parents. What makes you think you are? And this is I like this part. It's like because Bruce, you could never fly with me. A huge like and uh, almost almost like a Pacific Rim kind of thing. Uh, how makes this big robotic construct kind of looks like Stell a little bit too, and just lays out Dawnbreaker with a you know with with a huge smack of his other constructed fist. And he just keeps wailing on him like, this is for Guy. And we kind of see what a chained up dead, atroc- dead atrocitus is like. And Kyle! And we see a, a chained up uh, dead Sinestro. Which is kind of funny why Sinestro's arm is raised like that. Um, and John, he says. And then we, uh, we see the we, we see the uh, body of Hector Hammond in another tube. <laughs> hey, maybe they were the seven original lanterns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Humphreys didn't write this one. That would have been so perfect in the other one. Um yeah, Hal's just kind of like, he's going, you know, stepping his game up, you know, literally and saying, you know, uh, like, you stepped up to the mic with, you know, with your emo crap, but, you know, while I came to rock and my show isn't over, and the light, you know, the lights are still on, and then Dawnbreaker's like, then by all means, Hal, play. And at this point, you know, Hal ends, you know, he, he ends the strobe, and Hal's like, you know, here's a lesson, Dawnbreaker. He's like, my ring, nobody gave it to me. You know, it didn't find me, I made it. You know, it's like a, if forged for my own willpower. I don't wear it. I am it. Kind of like to see Hal being cocky Hal. It's like, together we detonated war world. We came back from the afterlife. We rescued gods. Now we're going to burn you out. And now, of course, now we get a really awesome a double splash page where uh, all the voices. Yeah, we see, we see like images, um, ghost-like images of most of these. Uh matching their previous word bubble. So we have classic Hal Parallax without really the pointy teeth, so that's a plus. Uh, you know, Fear always finds its place. The Hector Hammond, you know, saying, you know, I've always, I've 
waited so long to be with you, Atrostis with these malt line, Larflees and Sinestro. Um, makes you wonder if the one, in a way it makes you wonder if the ones that aren't like ghosts, if he really killed those. Yeah. Because you kind of almost lean towards no, because, because you, especially. Unless he pulls some sort of like orange lantern, maybe you learned a trick from Larflees. Maybe, except we saw, the only thing that makes me think not is the fact that we see the bodies of all the ones that appear as ghost-like, with, with dark energy. That we saw the bodies of Atrocitus, Hector Hammond, and uh, Sinestro. We know they're dead. We don't really... Well, I mean, we we this, we saw the same thing f- from uh, Larflees, because the bodies of the Orange Lanterns rose during Blackest Night. So the bodies were still around there somewhere. No, yeah, I, I know. I'm just saying the, the way the way they're coming across. I mean, it's all with dark energy, clearly, but it may not mean anything. It just may have been the way. It's just a parallax and and Laura Fleas are not drawn the same way, and we don't see their bodies. So now it makes sense you wouldn't see the parallax hell body because it's uh, technically himself. But uh, but then again, different universe, different rules. Uh, so Hal's kind of like he sees all these. Plus, there's actually the shark back there too. So that's another thing that's kind of weird. It kind of doesn't really fit with a lot, of, a lot of the taunting blur, uh, at least verbally have, but the, you know, blood blood running down his face and from his nose is like, who's first? And it's like, no fear doesn't mean you never feel afraid, it means you fight through the fear. And then, and now we see Metropolis, it's like, no matter how desperate things are, no matter, you know, no matter how dark the times, you know, it's like he talk, you know, talks about the oath and how you know every time he says it that he knows that it could be, you know, it could be the, it could be the last, but it always fails him with strength. And we see all these cities that more or less have been laid to waste and are, you know, corrupted by dark energy. And unfortunately, we see Hal now he's beaten, which is kind of like a part of that part of the half-ass part of this, if only the only part that's half-ass in this issue is that you really don't see kind of what happens to Hal. It just kind of like. Does leave it to your imagination, I suppose. But so you have Dawnbreaker using his and dark his dark green energy to drag Hal, and it's like uh, it's like I told the Green Lantern Corps, Hal, the dark always wins. But don't worry, uh, you won't be alone. My new teammates have defeated your wannabe family as well. So we see the Flash and Aquaman and what the Ray and lots of other lots of other characters that are being being dragged. Wonder Woman too. Um. It's that's it, the Suicide Squad. It looks like. Is it the Suicide Squad? So the taped to the Cosmic Tuning Fork, the Cosmic Tower. Yeah, is it? Yeah. So there, you, there's Deathstroke. There's uh, Deadshot. There's uh, 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 Captain Boomerang. Who's, the one, who's Floyd, the one in red? Uh, that's uh, Deadshot. Really? Okay. Yeah. And there's Poison Ivy, and I'm assuming the one with the green and the red and the white is is Beast Boy. Yeah, I don't know about the one between Deadshot and Beast Boy, and I don't know about the one by the feet of uh, Deathstroke and Captain Boomerang. I don't know who those two guys are. I'm feeling like the one between Deadshot and Beast Boy is maybe Black Lightning. I don't know. But- I only went with Suicide Squad because of... Captain Boomerang and Deadshot De- and yeah. Deathstroke De- and all yeah, of them. Deathstroke I did recognize. Um, and Poison yeah. Ivy looked familiar. Um, so the, as they're dragging, the, you know, the, these, the Justice League members to join, to join apparently the Suicide Squad, we you know, we get uh, some 
balloon, word balloons, dialogue balloons. What I love about the Justice League of this world is their arrogance. They believe they are the basis for the whole multiverse, and that we'd only, and that we'd only come for their world. <laughs> but we're just getting started, and now we basically find out that their master plan is to pull, pull Element X out of Cyborg, and once they do that, the entire multiverse supposedly will be theirs to destroy. The end. Hmm. Yeah, I I have a problem with this one only because of the Dawnbreaker issue ended with the whole Doctor Fate, Fate thing and him yep. pulling Hal away. Um, there are there's another issue that kind of um, explains where they all went, but this issue here does nothing to explain that, so it's kind of a pain in the butt. Like the Doctor Fate pulls the grid people over to um, oh what the hell is the name of that place uh, the bar the uh, that supernatural bar uh, in the DCU universe that everybody goes to um, it was very prominent during like Shadow Pact and shit what the hell is the name of that bar do you know what I'm talking about I loosely know what you're talking about all, all the supernatural characters have a bar that they go to the same way that like the rogues have a bar that uh, that they all the villains in Central City like communicate at or whatever. Oblivion. Um, yes, uh, there's there's it, it's not the same bar, but I, yeah, I think it is called the Oblivion Bar. I'm like scrolling through it, one of my right. DC. I, that's metal. how I found it. It didn't just pop into my head. Sadly, it says it does. That's the one that matches. It serves as the home base of the Shadow Pack. Yeah, that's yes. It's the Oblivion Bar. It's kind of like a it's it's like a mystical bar that moves around. It, it does. I don't know if it moves around or it's in its own dimension or whatever the hell. But it it they. I believe Doctor Fate called everybody to the Oblivion Bar. That's what Guy needs. So his place doesn't get blown up. Yeah, Oblivion and uh, and Warriors just merge to become. <laughs> just so I keep. They like it making its own pocket dimension. It can go wherever you need it to go at any given time. Yes, I saved it for once. But yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that's where everybody went. Um, but it, regardless, it doesn't make it clear what happened, what the difference is. But the, you can see inside the Oblivion Bar, uh, Superman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Green Lantern are all sitting at a table together. Uh, inside the bar, uh, and you know, there's a guest appearance by De- Detective Chimp and shit, so that's cool. Uh, but yeah, they he called them all to the Oblivion Bar. It just doesn't make it clear how Hal got back into this fight and uh, uh, you know got defeated and drugged towards the the cosmic tuning fork. So. And that's what that is, people. If you don't recognize it, <coughs> Crisis on Infinite Earths. That is one of the cosmic tuning forks that uh, the Monitor used to try and merge the remaining universes that the Anti-Monitor hadn't yet destroyed into one universe. Uh, uh, just merge the whole thing. That's how at the end of that's why essentially at the end of Crisis. You get post-crisis continuity where, like, the JSA existed back in the 40s and then became retired and then the JLA appeared and took over. And that's 
that's how you get all that stuff merged together into one quote-unquote cohesive continuity uh, linear timeline. The Cosmic Tuning Fork did that. So it's old, it's powerful, and it's technology invented by a, a monitor. So that's what that is. But yeah, what did you think of the fight other than not seeing the outcome? I liked it, except for that part. It's, it just it, it's just such a dramatic shift because we because Hal's actually holding his own pretty well up until that point, and it seems like he's just fighting basically dark energy constructs of his of his of his his rogues gallery, and then all of a sudden he ends up losing, and then you know which I guess if you want to base on a raw a pure raw numbers kind of thing, if you know that he could have been overwhelmed possibly because um, he, he was fighting some relatively you know hefty villains in his pantheon from a strength perspective though probably any one of them by his by his by himself he could have taken but all of them combined maybe not so i don't know yeah but it's a little anticlimactic let's put it that way it was nice that was but i hate to say it but again in a way that was like in a way it's kind of like it's kind of like uh Venditti in a nutshell, because even in this one issue, it was a really good build-up, but then it kind of like ends really quickly and not satisfying. <laughs> I think that's, I th- you know, honestly, as much as I, you know, we, we do blame some certain things on like Venditti and stuff from time to time. He's limited. Honestly, he limited. yeah, I mean, y- y- when you're given a tie-in issue like this to such a huge event, it's got to be a directive from editorial yeah, telling I- him, like, you need to start here and you need to end here. We don't give a crap what you do between... But this is what has to happen at the end of this issue. So I can't blame fault him too much no, for that. I, I think, know, but I did. Sure. I did enjoy the fight. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed the fight. I certainly enjoyed that confrontation more than what we got in Dawnbreaker. Right. Right. All right. Anything else you want to say about this issue or any of the four we've reviewed tonight? No, not at all. <laughs> Has, have these two issues uh, interested you in reading more DC Metal stuff? Or are you going to still leave it alone? I w- even with the prologue to it got me kind of interested in it, but I didn't, want, I didn't really want to invest, invest the money and the time at the, at the time. But it, does, but it doesn't mean me. It, it might intrigue me enough for, from a graphic novel perspective that maybe it's something when it's all said and done, maybe I'll... Maybe I'll want to. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I, I'm, I'm going to actually have to look up a reading order because I've been keeping up with it, but I feel like I've been reading things in the wrong order or like I feel like I'm missing something. Um, it feels scattershot and scatterbrained to me at certain points. So I think either A, I'm reading it wrong or I'm missing issues I didn't even know were tie-ins, or, or what. Uh, so I would, if I were you, I'd certainly wait for a trade on it. But that's just the thing. It's not even close to being over yet, because I actually interviewed, uh, for one of our upcoming episodes, Jonathan Glapion, who is an inker for the DC Metal main title. And he told me that um, Greg Capullo had just was like five pages in to like issue five or four or five or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's still going on and it's going to be drug, drug out a little bit more. So, all right. Uh, what else do we want to talk to people about tonight? Now, be- now before we go into the main thing, I had a question for you. Did you, did you ever, did you play the, uh, 
DC, the Batman DC Lego 3, the one that took that had all the lanterns in it? I wanted to, and I'd love to, but I cannot. Don't have the system, right? No. Uh, modern video games make me sick. Ah, uh, that, that, that problem, yes. Uh, yeah. I couldn't because that's when they switched over from uh, when the Wii was no longer supported. So basically, Batman Lego Two was the last. I didn't have the first. I didn't have the first one because I didn't have much of an interest in it. I had the second one, which was cool because there were a lot of characters, including Green Lantern and Sinestro, in it. But I only mention this because I actually watched some of the gameplay uh, uh-huh. on like an Amazon Prime. They had a couple of walkthroughs on different for the different levels, and it was really interesting. And I really liked the way they did the energy constructs for because pretty much every every Lantern world is is represented. They all had their own. They had. They all had their own level, so it was pretty cool. And and they had some of the entities, which was which is was really I found in, found interesting. Actually, I found interest. I found what was interesting more, unless I unless I didn't see it when I when I was fast forwarding, which wouldn't have made sense because you would have think it would have at least been at the end. That they didn't have parallax. That's the one that surprised me. You would think if there was gonna be one go-to entity that you would see in that game, that it would be when they went to Quart and 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 Sinestro fighting the Sinestro. Well, did you see all of it or just select clips? I saw the complete. Uh, every one, every level had his, had a complete gameplay through. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean maybe there was something you could unlock when you went back after story mode, but a lot but a lot of the other entities you saw, like the butcher, the butcher was pretty prominent. Uh, I believe the pre- looked like the Predator was prominent, and to me, it even looked like at the end of the Odom screen, it looked like it was Adara that came through and, and captured the the last re- Reach thing and flew away with it. So it just okay. kind of it just looked weird because I because because even the way Sinestro was taunting Hal, I expected him to release that you were going to see Parallax at the end, but but it was just interesting. But it was cool. I mean, even you know the Indigo World, you know. Using knock, it was it, it was fun. It makes me kind of wish that I did have I did have that, and that's the only reason I mentioned it is just because uh, I thought they did a pretty good job, much better job than previously. The way they, the way they created the constructs, what the constructs could do, things like that. So that I just I just figured I would mention that. But that's not what that's not what we're <laughs> the final thing we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk Justice League the movie. That's right. Uh, go ahead, man. I've been taking. I've been talking ad nauseum about uh, metal, so take the lead. What do you want? What do you want to start with? There's, there's so many different things potentially to talk about with this. Uh, first of all, it was it was certainly was better than Batman versus Superman. In my it's my number two of the DCEU. And I saw your, and I know on some level saying it's better. It's and saying it's either number two or it's better than BVS is kind of like saying well. Like, Taking a shot to the ribs is better than a kick to the groin, you know. So it's kind of like almost like a sec. It's a it, it's a borderline, you know, backhand backhanded compliment potentially, just because it's not like you have to. That bar isn't set that high. But I liked Justice League. Was it great? No. Wasn't bad. I'd give it probably like a B or a B plus. It was. It seemed rushed. Maybe that's because of the editing on it. No, because I'm not buying into. Oh, they let Snyder just do what he wanted. That's that's that. That seemingly is now the, the 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 new go-to excuse since people can't use. Oh, critics just hate all DC Warner Brothers movies anymore after Wonder Woman. Now they have to come up with something else. Now it's oh, if you just let the director not basically if you didn't have the if you didn't let, let if the first cut of a movie was released it'd be great. It's like no, that's why it's the first cut of a movie. It's never supposed to be the theatrical cut. It just means it's the first friggin' somewhat comp somewhat uh, comprehensive or 
anything that has any kind of makes any kind of sense, you know, when you when you're putting it together, it's the closest thing to a. That's what the, that's what, you, what your first cut of the movie is. It's just it's raw. It's not supposed to be, you know. Whatever. But maybe if it was maybe there was some stuff cut out that would have made it seem a little less forced since you already had two since you had two members of the team that didn't want to join the team. Not for diff, not for the same reason, but yet and then all of a sudden miraculously they all just team up instantaneously. Uh, I'm not saying they didn't have reasons. But, well, they also cut like an hour out of this thing. Well, yeah, but again, I, I, again, that's an hour supposedly of the original cut of the movie, and it's like you never. And like we talked about with BVS, you're never getting a three-hour theatrical cut of one of these movies because people don't want that. It has to be some serious. It almost has to be like a historical epic kind of thing where people don't care that it's that long. I mean, pe- especially coming after Blade Runner, people don't want to have a 2:45 without. Uh, trailers. They don't want a 2:45 cut of a movie because that it, it's just. I mean, it could work if it's really, really exciting, but just because it was longer doesn't necessarily mean it was going to be better. It might have made the team up a little better. Uh, maybe. Uh, I still think from a, and we'll talk. Well, I'll get into that later because when we talk box office and stuff, I I I like the Flash a little bit more than I thought. I thought Cyborg was a little more enjoy- – I thought – I liked Cyborg definitely more than I thought. I thought I was just going to hate him just because I felt – had that part of it because I don't think he should be anywhere near being a founding member of any Justice League. <laughs> uh, so that – I didn't – so – but well, Aquaman was exactly what I figured he was going to be. If you like Jason Momoa or you like that take that they were going to give you as Aquaman, then you liked him. If you didn't – you want it did it, nothing in the movie I think was going to really convince you kind of like Ezra Miller as the Flash if you didn't kind of like the if you didn't like the punk kid kind of like scatterbrained insecure uh, that kind of version they were doing of Barry Allen if you really didn't like that then I don't know if anything in the movie was going to convince you that yeah that he's great but if you're open minded enough to say well this is a different variation on it and for what it was it worked Wonder Woman you know she was still good. Uh, ben Affleck was good as Batman. Was good as Batman. Better, obviously, the best Superman as far as a, ver- a a version of him, the closest to real Superman I think we've gotten in the DC extended U. Not that he was in the movie for much. Superman as Superman was barely in the movie. Uh, Steppenwolf we knew was gonna, was a bad villain. He was a bad choice from the get go. The CGI wasn't that great. Uh, Parademons I liked. I thought they worked well. I didn't like I didn't like Steppenwolf. The and I thought the the po- both the post credit scenes were were pretty good. They were they were good. Um, so it it was good. Uh, so let me let me stop there before I go into anything else, and let me turn it over to for your thoughts. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm thinking about going to see it again at some point, maybe, but I, I'm in no rush to do that. Uh, I, I had to see it because, uh, I mean, not just because of, of the show, but because uh, I went to Comic-Con that weekend, um, so I had to see it Thursday night, opening night, because I was going to be on a con floor for three days, and, uh, you know, if you think it's hard trying not to be spoiled when you're a podcaster in the comic book, uh, on the co- subject of comic books, try being a podcaster on the subject of comic books. And going to Comic Con the following day, <laughs> like you're you're going to get spoiled. So I absolutely had to see it. So I, I went to go watch it. Um, it was good. I enjoyed it. 
Um, Wonder Woman was great. Uh, I've enjoyed Batman a little bit more uh, this time out. I don't know how I feel about Jason Momoa's Aquaman. I still see him as the weird dude bro, uh, you know, character that he was played up to be, of course, in the trailer and everything. Uh, a real standout for me, honestly, despite how grim he was, was Cyborg. Actually, I enjoyed him more than I thought I would. Um, but uh, that was definitely an enjoyable part. You know, the Superman stuff was fantastic. And, of course, we got a, a Green Lantern appearance uh, in the movie. So, uh, And that sequence was pretty cool, too. It yeah, the, C- kind of, the CGI yeah. was really – it was ever so brief, but the CGI for the way they used it for the – the Green Lanterns that were fighting Steppenwolf and that. Well, Green Lantern. <laughs> there were two. No, there's just one. Was it just one? Yep. The Green Lantern of Sector 2814 in that time period, that ancient, ancient time period. You know who it was? I heard the name, but I, but I, but wasn't one that I was overly familiar with. Yalan Gur. Yalan Gur, for those of you who don't remember... Green Lantern, the 90s series with Hal Jordan, number 19. There was a 50th anniversary episode uh, issue that came out oh, where yeah, Martin Odell. Yeah, the Alan, with yep. Alan Scott in the cover, right? Yep. Uh, Martin Odell came back and penciled a story within that showing essentially uh, the retcon of how Alan is actually connected to the Green Lantern Corps. And Yalan Gurr was the explanation for that. Um, obviously in the original story, Yalan Gurr was, um, a dictator, much like Sinestro, a douchebag, uh, was ended up killed in this, in this case, he's clearly fighting for the greater good. So his backstory is obviously changed because when I mean, we saw him for all, you know, a minute, but, uh, that, that was a green lantern that, you know, a pink skinned looking, a reptilian-looking creature with a cape and a Green Lantern ring in ancient uh, in a battle on ancient Earth. That's uh, got to be Yalan Gur. A lot of people are are placing him as uh, it, I, it hasn't been confirmed by anybody, so it could be it could be really anybody. But uh, when I was when I looked up Yalan Gur online to refresh my memory on who he was a lot of articles were popping up from other places saying, hey, that Green Lantern in the Justice League movie, did you recognize him? And they were saying it was Yalangur, too. So I guess I was already on the right track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good sequence. That was kind of like their, their Lord of the Rings scene. That battle. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't have the same problem with it that I had with like Thor Ragnarok, where I thought it was too funny for its own good. I would really, 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 really like to see the full version. I would suspect that there were... Well, I would suspect, first of all, there's a version between the three-hour version and the two-hour version. <laughs> I want to see it all. Yeah, but you don't know what... But I don't know. Well, I mean, they, if, if they put it all on the disc, that's one thing. But, I mean, you the same way, like, remember when you put in DVDs in the past, it's like, do you want to see full screen or widescreen? Yeah. <laughs> Just choose your presentation of the of the media you see. Again, it also, I guess it, it also depends on 
again, whether there was a three-hour, whether that three-hour cut was a first cut or whether the three-hour cut was actually something that Snyder really, really thought was close to being theatrical ready, and then they cut, and then they just cut an hour out of it because I, I saw Snyder said, "I'm one." Well, Snyder's Snyder's, and I can understand he's in a tough spot because you know he's being pushed out. Uh, so. Because you can pretty much take it to the bank. Even if there was any chance he was going to continue on in anything other than a ceremonial role in any of these movies, that uh, box office for this movie kind of put an end to that. But one of the things that he said that there was that the, that while he's like, I think they said that he, he was in favor like signing the petition to see the three-hour cut, but he made it clear that the three-hour cut didn't really exist. And another and another thing that he said. So it depends. I I I find it hard to believe that there was a three-hour cut and they cut it from three directly down to two. I think there had to be something, there had to be something in between, and I don't know. And just bec- and, be- and just because I would be curious, but just because there was a three-hour cut, and we know this, just because there's a three-hour cut doesn't mean the movie was going to be better. Because one of the th- one of the few things everybody from a critical point of view have given credit to this movie about or for, given them credit for, was that it was lean and it was quick, it was quick moving and it wasn't boring. You add in another hour, that doesn't mean that that you can almost take it to the bank. All that positive praise and that one area is going to go out the window. Maybe it makes it more cohesive. Maybe. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, I enjoyed Batman versus Superman more with the Ultimate Edition. Yeah, which but you was, said you, you you haven't seen yet, right? No, I saw the... I, yeah, I borrowed oh, okay. it. I, but I don't... It would, I think it makes it a little more cohesive, but it to me, it's not like it made the movie go from a B- to an A+. It was a very minor change to that movie. I think people who think... I mean, I... I mean, if you really, I mean, I'm not, opinions are opinions. So if you really think it made a significant impact in your enjoyment of the movie, then then for you that it did. But for me, seeing both, and I saw the theatrical first, I didn't see that. I noticed some things were different, but it didn't change the overall tone or the flaws in the movie. And I don't think, and that may not, and maybe with an hour of extra stuff, maybe. But the thing that I, one of the things that I find interesting, one of the things that I find interesting about this was, when we, we heard last year, right after BVS came out, probably, and it's had, and I'm and most I think most people thought it was just spin and the CYA thing that was coming out from Snyder and 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 the the the, the team was that oh uh, Justice League was supposed to be more lighter in tone all along, kind of implying that BVS being darker and being criticized for being darker was not going to have an impact on that level on on Justice League because oh we always intended it to be lighter. But then you hear whether this could just be his opinion or he could be acting as a mouthpiece for his father because his father really can't say that because he's still trying to be be not just politically correct but being professional. That Snyder's son came out and more or less said, well, like he liked the movie just like his father liked the movie, but they thought the movie was too funny. And if and to me, Justice League was funny, but it wasn't too funny. Like you pointed out, it wasn't like Thor Ragnarok funny. Not that I had a problem with Thor Ragnarok, really. But it wasn't anywhere close to being that funny. It was almost kind of like your typical Marvel movie funny, that level of funny. But yeah, they criticize that and say, well, that movie was too, the humor was, there was too much forced humor and stuff like that. And maybe makes your, to me, it makes the first thought when I heard that was just kind of reinforce the idea that probably Justice League, probably Justice League wasn't really going to be that much. it was only going to be lighter in tone just because of, because it wasn't going to be so completely as 100% depressing because how could you be as, as BVS. 
So maybe that's the way they meant it was going to be lighter in tone. But if they were really criticizing the amount of humor that made it into Justice League, the, the theatrical cut, as being too much, just kind of reinforces the idea that maybe that was just a, a, a cover-your-ass statement they made to try to make people feel better about a movie that it was essentially, you know, you, you knew you couldn't change much at that point without it being dramatic. And that's one of the criticisms about this movie, that depending on all the reshoots that, you know, Whedon did, that it's, it's that at times it seems like, and I didn't notice it. I didn't think it was a huge problem for me, but maybe I was. I also wasn't looking for it. The fact that it seems like a lot of the criticism was it definitely seems like this was a movie made by two directors, and it, and once a movie starts, and we know the movie was written and, and literally about to go start filming when Batman vs Superman came out, which is one of Warner Brothers' big problems. That they, is there? A, they've already got wheels in yes, motion it's like they before continue, they can get criticism for something that's yeah, coming out. They continue this, and they're a little better off right now because other than Aquaman, and Aquaman is a standalone movie like Wonder Woman is with a different director, someone with a better tra- with a, a track record actually too. That so Aquaman probably would be okay, and it's probably going to have humor in anyway because it's Momoa. But it's the same kind of thing. I mean, it's like when Batman vs Superman came out, they friggin' already had Suicide Squad in the can. And they had BVS about to start. I mean, they had Justice League about to start, and nobody knew how people were going to react to BVS. And then, and then, and then panic set in. Whether just whether Suicide Squad was just reshot and re-edited simply because of because they wanted it lighter, just because Batman versus Superman was too dark, or because legi- they were just legitimately concerned it was being marketed as a light movie, and they knew that, and they knew the actual cut of the movie was a lot darker, and they were worried about the pushback from people that were going to be disappointed. But then you and then, but Batman versus Super, Superman was or didn't that coming out when it did and Justice League going into production when it did didn't allow a whole lot of time to do you could do some slight tinkering to the script, but you couldn't do massive rewrites without without delaying the movie. Now eventually they probably kind of ended up doing it by having Whedon do all those reshoots. You had to rewrite some stuff to make it to even borderline cohesive. But that's what they keep, you know. That's what they kind of they keep doing. They just they need. If you had a track record of success, and people like the direction of your movies overall, you can do that. But they but they're so scatterbrained in, in all the way they've done things that you just you just don't know. So at least they're a little better off now because again, Aquaman is the only movie that is in is already done. So they can learn some of this. The concerns are for me. That all you obviously we've been hearing more and more about Ben Affleck jumping ship. That the stuff that seemingly that everybody seemed sure of before, and then you know they did everything they could to shoot that down is just rumor. Seemingly wasn't a rumor. They just wanted to like kick the can down the road to deal with it. But it certainly seems while nothing is official yet that Affleck kind of wants out, or it might be a mutual part, a, a mutual separation. But it doesn't seem like he'll be the Batman in the Batman, and it doesn't seem like he'll be Batman in the Justice League sequel, whenever that's you know whenever that comes, and and it seems like they told, they're also playing up even though it's not like it's in the same boat. He's never said anything like he wouldn't come back. They're playing up that Henry Cavill supposedly only has one more movie left in, in his contract as Superman. So if they have to re you know if they have to recast all these characters in a relatively short period of time, that's really going to screw up continuity. And I know they can they can. They can screw around with Flashpoint more than than they should to try to justify that, I suppose. But I don't know. I think 
And the box office is clearly disappointing. There's no doubt about that. Uh, depending on where you re- you know what you read, the movie would have to make somewhere between 700 and 800 million dollars worldwide just you know to, to be out knocking on the door, turning a profit. And it might probably isn't going to do that. Certainly domestically, it's not going. It's really it's really underperformed domestically. If you it's hard to call a movie that makes 90 like uh, what 94 million or something in its opening weekend a bomb. But based on how much it costs, based on how much it was mar- the marketing budget for, how much it needed to do worldwide, based on expectation, and based on and this was one of the, my major criticism of the movie. You know, the Avengers felt like an event movie. The first Avengers felt like an event movie, and when you have a movie that's an event movie, and you can even say like like the Dark Knight was like that too because of the Heath Ledger thing. If it's like an event, like a must see something unique, that also gets people who don't usually see movies of that genre to go see it because they hear because it's something unique or special. There wasn't anything epic about Justice League. It didn't feel epic. It didn't feel special, even though we were having these characters on the screen. And yeah, I would have felt better if Hal was in there. There's no doubt. I mean, come on. But yeah, what happened to Unite the Seven? Yeah, they they, they backed away from that crap real quick. Uh, and, for, and for what? This like we talked about, not you know, multiple times. I think even in the three and three hundredth episode, let alone in the State of the Union, they keep kicking that. Oh, we're afraid to go back to Green Lantern because the movie didn't succeed. All building on hoping that you're going to build something else to, so you could rehabilitate. Well, this, you're, you're using major characters now, and in, in, in you're shit in the bed as far as overall box office. Based on basic on expectation, the Justice League in its sleep, because of what it is, should be making more money than all the single DC extended universe movies. It should be a no-brainer. It should be making more money than BVS. It should be certainly making more money than Wonder Woman. That's what it should be, but it's not, and it's a big it's a big problem. It's a big problem. Maybe some of it is the stench of BVS alone, and the fact that it seems like fans like. Overall, like Justice League, more than BVS. So maybe again, like we've talked about before, it's it's how people from a box office perspective, how a, the next movie does, greatly depends on how people react to the one that came before it, and then that can change the tone. So maybe, uh, mm-hmm. maybe if people like Justice League, as in the fans, that may and they realize it, and when people see it, that maybe that'll change things. But there's no doubt this is going to have a major impact. On the, on the DC Extended Universe in their direction. Some things are going to change they're gonna, because they're going to they're have to change. Because let's be honest, Wonder Woman made a lot, a lot of money in its opening weekend for Wonder Woman. But what, you know, but in the big picture of a lot of superhero movies, it, did, it wasn't fantastic. It wasn't epic. It wasn't anything close to a record. So that that's that's kind of like their bar right now from single in you know in the single characters and we know BVS had a really good opening weekend but these but my God Justice League from a box office perspective that really tanked and you know so and it's not going to have and it's not going to have legs because it it did okay in its second weekend but it also movies that have you know movies that movies that don't have a huge opening sometimes have a percentage wise their drop isn't as dramatic because you not you don't have as far to fall. You make 120 million dollars your opening weekend, you know you're gonna you're gonna drop a hell of a lot and make you know in the second weekend no matter what. I just it's not gonna have many legs because you know because you know Star Wars is gonna be coming out soon. Most of the people who wanted to see Justice League, well, have seen it already probably at the at the absolute latest by this weekend coming up. So, it's 
not going to certainly domestically it's not going to do well there's no, there's no way you can't sugarcoat it it's not going to do well you got, you just kind of hope it plugs along overseas in maybe it can if everything falls right it can it can like kind of creep ever so closer to BVS but based on expectations for this movie this there's there's no doubt that it that it underachieved and how it's going to affect the rest you know we may never get to see our green lantern core movie because of, because of which is again why I've kind of I don't think they should have shied away from it. I mean, every little bit counts at this point. I mean, so, I don't know. All right. Anything else you want to say before we go? Uh, I'm just trying to think because there always tends to be something about these that, oh, yeah, just the only thing, and, and I have talked about it, it's like, uh, but being specific, people, people just have to stop. I mean, it doesn't mean that the three-hour cut or the extended version wouldn't be different and it might not be more enjoyable. Maybe it's going to be a little might be might be more meat on the bone. So maybe, and sometimes they're completely different movies. I mean, sometimes you have like when they did the uh, like The Exorcist. I think the beginning, the one with Skarsgård. They they literally switched directors. And and if you saw the movie, there were two completely different cuts of that movie. And the movies are so completely different. I saw I saw the theatrical one, and then I bought the the the, the original one. And it's sometimes they're like completely different visions. That being said, people. It's just the thing. It's like a narrative that gets out there that people just buy into. Just because a movie gets edited down from the original, from the, let's say the first cut of the movie, it doesn't mean the studio is quote unquote interfering. And it doesn't necessarily mean oh because the movie doesn't do as well as people wanted it to do, it was the studio's fault. It's all it's all it's, that's not the way it. Sometimes it is, but it's not always the case. The studio, as we said before about different things. Unless you're Martin Scorsese or somebody, the odds are you're not going to have final cut on your movie as far as length and full content. You're not going to have final say on everything. The studio, that's what they get paid. You know, that's what, you know, they're putting up the money. They have a right to say that, and they have a right to have input on a movie. And if they're and for people who think, oh, they ruined Suicide Squad, well, the studio isn't the one that said, hey, let's make friggin' the Enchantress and your and her brother the villains. You know, then the director comes out after the fact. Oh, I should have made the Joker the, vi- the main villain. Well, yeah, asshole, you probably should have. But that was your call. The studio didn't tell you to pick these these B tier villains and make them the main villains. That's that was that that was basically your choice. That's what you went with. So it's it's if it's just sometimes the studio interferes too much. Sometimes the studio is trying to save what it has, like Trank's Fantastic Four. If somebody, I mean, I know there are people who really believe, oh, they just released Trank's fence, his vision of the Fantastic Four, it would have been better. I seriously doubt it would have been better. Because let's remember, Trank is the one who wanted Doctor Doom to be a fucking blogger. And it was the studio that kind of put the kibosh on that. So, even though the movie was a little incoherent by what they had to fix, edit out, whatever, the reality is, sometimes you know you have a steaming pile and you're trying to make it smell a little better. Or less in the pile. It, you're just trying to... But the studio always has – they always have involvement. They always – whether it's tone, whatever. Same thing with Rogue One. We know Rogue One, the ending of the movie changed slightly. Some of the tone, I think, changed probably to make it a little more upbeat, a little more hopeful because I think it was a little too dark and a little too depressing. Even though it's still obviously – from an ending perspective, it's still relatively depressing because everybody dies. But – which seemingly might not have been the case during the original version. But either way – he had reshoots, which they always are reshoots on movies too. That's the thing. The end thing is to panic whenever you hear a movie's doing reshoots. There's almost always reshoots or pickups. That's scheduled. 
So just because there's reshoots or pickups doesn't mean that it's that the movie's in trouble. And just because uh, the studio just they see they see a cut and they go, you know, we want some changes, it doesn't mean the studio is quote unquote interfering. It's it's their job. And depending on the property you're dealing with, it makes more sense that you're going to be more protective of it. Like Star Wars as a brand, it makes perfect sense that you're going to be more protective of that. That it has to feel like a Star Wars movie, which is probably why. You know, the guys from the Lego movie got, got the boot on the Han Solo solo movie because of the fact that it was a little too funny. You know, there's, again, maybe it was border, bordering on the Thor Ragnarok kind of funny, and that just wasn't going to work. So then you got to change it. But it's better to – so all I'm saying is just please, you know, don't – I think the movie's the – mo- the movie's not a complete – you know, not – it's not really bad. Just like the Rotten Tomatoes things, people just have to remember to – that's just an aggregate. It's a cumulative thing, cumulative thing which simply means if a movie ends up with 40, 40% of Rotten Tomatoes, that just means only four critics out of ten give it a thumbs up. It doesn't mean the critics overall think the movie on a scale of ten is only worth a four. That's not what they mean. And it doesn't mean that a whole lot of critics were right on the border or give it a thumbs up but opted to give it a thumbs down at the end of the day. They couldn't recommend it. So the movie really could right be in the middle in the big picture of how people would rate it overall. You know, so it may very well be right in the middle. But if it's kind of like the, philosophically, it's kind of like the electoral college on that level, where if all the all the uh, battleground states go to one candidate, it looks like a landslide on the electoral college, even though every one of those states could have been lost like 51, 49. It's it's just it just it kind of the numbers are accurate, but they can be kind of like skewed or manipulated. So. That's to remember about Rotten Tomatoes, too. It just means that only four to ten critics really, on average, think the movie was good, or to, enough to recommend, but it doesn't mean they hate it. So there is – so just like – so that keep those, that in mind and just the fact that, again, studio – the director is not always right. The, the director is not always right, and a, and, a, and a longer version of a movie is not always better. Sometimes it doesn't add much to the movie as far as, as, far as making it better. Obviously, if you're adding 30 minutes in, you're adding 30 minutes in. That's a significant chunk of time. But it does not necessarily mean that you know the the movie itself was significantly or even at all better. Or, but we will see. I don't think that was the. I don't. I think justice. I think, if you will, that the the the, the failure of Justice League was kind of the groundwork was that was laid over a year ago when BVS flamed out and and began because the studio that's movie was already going into production that there was almost no way with the same director and everything there was almost no way that that movie was going to be able to do as much business and be as well received i think as people hoped that that was a stench and a smell that was hovering over over the project and and i think we and i talked about this even wonder woman but when before wonder woman came out i mean i said that if wonder woman was good and people liked it it would give a little bit of momentum towards Justice League, but the biggest thing it would do would be stop like the death march that people just assumed this movie was marching off the cliff. It would give people a little bit of hope, at least, that it could be better, even though it was from a different director and with someone with a different vision, which didn't really fit in into anything else that was going on in the extended universe. So that's so at the end of the day, I think BVS is what did more damage to Justice League than anything else. More than more than Snyder not being able to finish the movie and edit it the way he wanted, more than Whedon's reshoots, I just think that. And the choice of Steppenwolf, which again wasn't the studio's decision, really. I mean, you could say that maybe I would like to think Jeff Johns would have picked, would have decided to pick a better villain if it was totally up to him too. But 
I just they had an opportunity, and and we and the ex, the post credit scene kind of hints at that, and, we, and you and I talked about this too. When they decided to just go, you know, to go bull through a china shop towards building, towards the universe, and not go step by step to build it, the one thing they could have done right off the bat, which Marvel has never given us, and that would have been a step in the right direction, soup, Justice League movie, they could have the Justice League versus whatever the hell you called it, if you didn't want to call it the Legion of Doom, but you could have just done that right off the bat. You could have just had them going on superhero team versus a supervillain team. We've never had that done. Now, I'm not counting the X-Men, you know, the League of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But, I mean, we've never really had it done with the major superhero teams. That was something DC could have done instead of Steppenwolf. And they hint at it now of putting together, the, you know, a pseudo-Injustice League, Legion of Doom. But, again, who knows how many of these actors are still going to be around. So it might even be completely different. But that's it. I'll, I'll stop rambling now. No worries. All right, you want to go ahead and close us out? I uh, will close us out. Hey, and we're going to be uh, we might be be under two hours with, with a little bit. We should be with a little bit of editing this time. Much better than six hours. <laughs> we're sorry we let you down, people. We'll be longer next time. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to contact us, uh, lanterncast at gmail dot com. Website, of course, is lanterncast dot com. Uh, follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hashtag GLCast to find us on both of those. iTunes and Stitcher. Leave us a positive review on the platform or platforms you listen to us on. And last but not least, 708 Lantern. That's the voicemail. And let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.